Welcome to Rocking Our Priors. I'm your host, Dr. Alice Evans. Now, some economists assume that paid work enhances women's bargaining power, such that when women earn their own money, they push for greater gender equality. Is that correct? Or is the impact of paid work mediated by social context and controls? Vidya Mahamre and Somia Danaraj offer fascinating insights into this question by exploring what happens when women from North India are recruited and then migrate to either rural or garment factories in Tamil Nadu. Listening to their work, I learned how weaker control mechanisms enable women to pursue wider friendships, explore new environments and exploit different job opportunities. Vidya and Somya, welcome. Thank you very much, Alice, for having us. It's uh, great to have this conversation. Thank you, Alice, uh, uh, and giving us this opportunity to uh, m- make observations that we made on the field uh, interviewing garment workers. Super. Okay. So let's first discuss what happens when North Indian women migrate to rural factories. What's the setup? So the rural in the rural factories, mm-hmm. uh, because of the absence of you know other uh, similar kind of uh, factories and there are very less opportunities around the factories also run the hostels by themselves and this means that the factories control what happens outside uh, the work environment as well because they need to you know provide shelter provide food and other facilities for women to stay uh, within the factory hostels but in the urban areas factories have more opportunities they can subcontract running the hostels to um, you know other organizations uh, which will take care of you know uh, giving them accommodation uh, helping them find the markets to uh, you know to buy uh, to make their purchases may, uh, having their own uh, making their own food and so on so you know these two different settings uh, means that women to some extent control what uh, happens in their day-to-day personal lives when they have these opportunities and when they make these decisions about their day-to-day lives versus in a rural factory when the hostels you know give them accommodation with they stay within the factory settings they are not allowed to go outside and so on so they have less control of their day-to-day uh, decisions living uh, how they live what they do what they cook and all these things are not are not decided by themselves but the factory decides for okay brilliant so let me just clarify in the rural areas, when a factory is set up, there are a few other things going on. So they set up their own hostel with tight constraints. They monitor women, they escort them to the market, they escort them back, and women really don't have much freedom to explore the wider environment. Whereas in the cities, because there are so many hostels, the factories don't need to provide accommodation themselves. Women just stay in some random hostel and they can use their one day off, their Sunday, to go off to the market, go off to a park or whatever. So that's the big difference, the degree of social surveillance and also the economic opportunities in the surrounding environment yes okay right now with that contrast set up tell me what happens in the rural environments how are women's earnings used video uh, so if we if it when we talk about women empowerment mm. uh, it is as you said much broader than earning power or yes. earning economic resources uh, it is about the choices that they can make and the, whether they have a decision-making power. But in the case of rural uh, women, the migrants, in many cases, their economic resources are used uh, for some reason for their families. Mm-hmm. It can be for uh, repaying the family debt. It can be for educating the 
you know the girls uh, the woman's uh, siblings so she might have actually stopped her education or her parents would have stopped her education because there's not enough money but now she's sending back money for her siblings education or money gets saved for someone's marriage including her own marriage so it is always in many cases it appears uh, to be the economy her economic resources are used for the family purpose and they very few women talk about what they want for themselves that they do keep a some amount of money for themselves but nothing they say in terms of their own aspirations and they have a choice in deciding how to use the money that choice seems to be have already predefined for them uh, by what is happening to the family adding to this if you do not uh, decide what should i cook for today what should i eat today and uh, how do i you know uh, plan for my day to day life what happens is that you never truly gain that independence of living alone from your family so even later in life when you get married and so on you are always dependent on somebody to you know to decide what to do with the day to day life how to live uh, you cannot live without a support or right. with, of either family or somebody else so you know it makes a huge difference of you know making these independent decisions about day to day life vis-a-vis somebody providing you food accommodation and everything and what you just do is just go to work and come back to the hostel so this makes a big difference in how you view life and how independent you can live later also when you decide when you continue to work or when after marriage and so on so if i can slightly uh, take another example please. not from the textile uh-huh. uh, factory please. but uh, because i teach in a management institute mm-hmm. and uh, so we have around 30 35% of girls and for the two year mba program uh, there is a pressure on girls even at that level to do their internship they do summer internship for two three months uh, there is many times parents and themselves girls want to have that internship in their uh, own native uh, you know city town and and many times i tell them that's not going to teach you how to live independently later on so you please take up internship which is not in your hometown so because when they live in our hostel everything as somya is saying everything is taken care of you know food is taken care of all the facilities are provided they they don't have to hunt for a house you know so they don't have to deal with how to make the contract for rental and all that uh, nothing has to be done so so it's extremely important that these things you know girls learn at a very uh, young age in our in the rural factory setting that does not happen because it's so not scale yeah when you don't do these mental calculation of okay how much of my salary do i have to allocate for rent how much do i have to spend on food how much saving should i make when you don't do these calculations what happens is that when you earn even after your marriage i think you will delegate these responsibilities to you know the male member or whoever is the you know the the patriarch in the family to take the decisions for on your behalf so you never really get to you know understand what is your self worth how much do i contribute what what do i do with my earnings what personal aspirations do i have all these don't get filled up if the work doesn't translate to really living an autonomous life yeah and i think i'd like to draw out three points here so one is listening to you partly it's about socialization so if you grow up in a family in a patriarchal context where women have very little freedom or they're not navigating that much independently that's what you come to expect that's what you see as normal that you go along with your family that you marry etc so you, those are your expectations there's a second issue that 
If you never have the opportunity to cultivate those skills, if you're always living in an environment where most of these big decisions are taking care of you, then you just can't cultivate it yourself. So you continue to go along with those aspirations because you've never known anything different. And the thought of stepping out outside a sort of birdcage is actually a little bit scary. You know, the more that you are cloistered, the more that you're restricted, the scarier the outside world becomes. So you might actually prefer to stay in the more controlled environment. And in fact, uh, you know, many uh, women and many educated women also mm. are hesitant to talk with their partners or the husband about money. Mm. So very rarely there are conversations in Indian families where husband and wife would take, you know, joint decisions and see how his money is to be uh, allocated. So yeah, so such decision, independent decision making rarely happens. Like for instance, in the rural factories, the women themselves say that uh, do you when we ask do you uh, uh, decide on how this money is going to be spent because it is you who has earned the money and you are sending it to the parents so do you have a conversation about how how this money is used and what this money is used for do you share your opinions they say that no anyways it is my father who decides and we are happy they are really happy to you mm. know allow their fathers or others to take the decisions on their behalf because they always think that anyways the family thinks the what is best for me so I don't have to really think about these things. So, you know, I think there is some kind of a, the, de the decision making is being just delegated, right? And they do not want to get involved in it. So this is something that is not cultivated. Now, coming to the... Uh, wait, wait, I just wanted to interject. So I wanted to draw a parallel with East Asia. So in East Asia, in the early stages of industrialization, it was very, very similar to exactly what you're describing. You know, factory, air, factory recruiters would go out into the villages and they would speak to often debt, distressed families. And the fathers themselves in both China, Korea and, uh, and Japan would sign the contracts for their daughters to go off and work, to work in these very monitored, secluded uh, dormitories where they thought, you know, their honor would be perfectly safe. And the girls, the, the women themselves, absolutely felt proud to support their families. Because for, for centuries, it's been this idea of filial piety that the son supports the parents. And actually, in a sort of relative to that baseline, there's a sense of pride and status in being mm. able to support your family. You know, these are people these women care desperately about. You know, their family is the most important thing. And now they can take care of their parents and, and no longer seeing themselves as a dependent. And that's exactly what I found in Cambodia, where I did a very similar study to you, comparing rural and urban garment factories. And the women were so happy that they, were, they, they really felt proud to support their parents. So, yeah, they didn't control that income. But, you know... That's one part of a sort of patriarchal spectrum, that autonomy and control. Another part is having the status of being able to take care of one's parents. So I really appreciate that insight. Thank you. Yes. And if you see that in the urban factories, what happened? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Before we go to urban factories, I wanted to ask about... Okay, so the women, when they go to the markets, they're escorted and they come back. How do the women spend their leisure time in the rural garment factory hostels? What do they do? So whatever they could do within the hostel uh, confines is what uh, they would do, like chatting with their friends, maybe have uh, look uh, having exposure, maybe doing some social media stuff and so on. But before this, uh, in fact, there were restrictions. We have heard that uh, the restrictions were more uh, uh, more in the sense that they were not allowed to have a uh, have a, a phone, a mobile phone with themselves, because that means that they could talk to anybody and there was no control over that. But uh, these restrictions have little been eased and 
earlier uh, you know we uh, we heard that you know when, if they have to talk to their parents they would have to go to the warden's room and talk to the parents in front of wow, them so it's seriously monitored hey? yes so what do the do women do women how do women view this work so yes they're happy to support their parents what about the experience of meeting other women do they talk about that but uh, just before yes, that please. yeah even please. though we are saying that the their life seems so restrictive mm-hmm. uh, from where we are seeing it yes for themselves in many cases they view their life in the factories and in the hostel is an improvement over how they were living in the villages uh, because they are coming from an environment where they did not have perhaps even this much of freedom mm-hmm. and then they sort of know that this freedom is theirs for maybe you know 3 4 5 years at max and so by freedom you mean freedom to just chat with other yeah, women yes, and make friends yes, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, free, freedom to live alone without you know parents or you know immediate families uh, mm. this thing is not there and so make friendships in the uh, hostels and in the factory and all that they view it as very positive development and they want to make most of it in that limited period of time that they have because eventually they have to go back and marry so they really they see cannot. that as inevitable this is my one moment of freedom yes because it is very clear that in rural uh, setting in indian rural tamil nadu they cannot get married to a uh, local man it's uh, no it's not encouraged neither by the factory not supported and so it is very clear to them that they would uh, have to go back and i want to draw so, another parallel with seeing one moment of a life of a life as a, a a temporary a temporary sort of freedom uh, so there's this great work in iran showing that women pursue higher education they go to universities and they see that as their one chance of being free from their parents and also free from their husbands but they're their aspirations are very constrained you know this is their one opportunity they're going to make the most of it and then they have to go back and so it's the sort of lower aspirations which they don't challenge they just see it as inevitable this is my one time exactly they don't build a long term aspirations mm. and like the i want to emphasize on the point that they think this as an inevitable thing mm. that the marriage is going to be inevitable they they do not for instance when we ask the questions are uh, uh, so uh, can will you get will you work after marriage they uh, you know ev- almost every woman kept saying but it depends upon the family that we get married into so they are it depends even, upon other people's choices yes. mm. they are not even thinking about whether they can you know uh, bargain with, right. the, uh, yeah. with the groom's side whether they can uh, you know work after the marriage they are not even thinking about whether they can start that conversation so they think that anyways this these few years that i'm going to work here I'll make the most out of it, and then I'll go back, and then I will lead the same family life as other women do. That's and right. do these women expect to be in arranged marriages that their parents will influence their choice of partner? Most of them uh, expect them to be the arranged marriages. Some of the women uh, mentioned about you know they do uh, they do want to get married to somebody whom they uh, love, but uh, they they were not sure whether they that would happen. and anyways uh, some uh, there were you know a uh, few women very few women who actually confessed that they were in fact in a relationship and that is and the parents found out and that is the reason why they were sent to the hostels in the first pl- in the as a way world. of keeping them monitored yes and that's so interesting that there were similarities in Ireland whereby women who eloped and had children were sent to these washroom these washrooms and their labor was totally exploited they were kept confined um and it was yeah punishment for their sins punishment for them stepping out of line question what do the women complain about in the rural garment factories 
so i think most of their complaints are uh, related to work environment mm. uh, sort of a thing so work is uh, you know hard. tiring mm. hard many times they have to stand for long hours and work uh, maybe they don't get uh, good food in good food in the sense what uh, you know the, the the food differs a lot between south india and uh, north india Uh, so they don't get uh, home cooked food but the employer this particular employer does uh, try to make efforts uh, to improve that way so they have introduced for example cultural fact uh, cultural events and festival celebrations and uh, things that that way but they do feel somewhere a sense of alienated perhaps from their uh, culture in uh, north do any women feel that they're missing home so much that they just can't that they they can't they, endure it and want to go home do. they are i think uh, the women whom we interviewed are mm. the ones who could get over the mm. feeling and still uh, right continue back, to right stay now. back in the mm. factories but you know the uh, the factories have said that uh, it is uh, it is uh, it, it, many women do live leave the factories within 3 months of yeah. their coming here because they find the uh, they find it very hard to stay away from their families and uh, definitely loneliness is a very important thing that plays a uh, a role about whether they can continue to work or not and i think this feeds into what we were saying before about how if all you ever know is your family if all you ever know is north indian food then that's what you desperately crave and want to be part of and i think it's so interesting when you say they want good food and by good food they mean their local culture yes, you know that's yeah. that's what matters yes, to them yeah, that's what's that's important what to them whereas when i was in cambodia when people were talking about good food it was the poor quality of the meat yeah. but i think you know, this is the importance of local culture yeah. right yeah. and also this uh, additional thing which going back to what somya said mm. the they, they know marriage as being universal yes you know, yeah. so you know indian women or even men for that yes. matter grow up in this thing that marriage is universality of marriage mm. and it has to happen also by a certain age and then you have to have kids mm. uh, all this is essentially you know ingrained from very early age so mm. you don't uh, most of us i guess never uh, even you know think about there is another choice of not going through this so it is just accepted that this is you know when i'm when i'm leaving my family and coming here parental home and coming here that it is going to be a, a temporary yeah and i think here's a really important point and this is what people get wrong when they think that paid work is inevitably going to enhance women's bargaining power is that so much of what we push for is constrained by our imaginations and if you grow up in a patriarchal home if you remain in an environment where you have very few freedoms and you don't see many alternatives then that's what you continue to endorse like that your emotional possibilities uh, there's this um is this Cambodian saying i think it's also in, in india where they talk about being a frog in a well so imagine yeah. a frog looking mm-hmm. up a frog looking up in a well all they see is the circle of sky above them and they imagine that's the entire universe yeah but they're in a well and there are many many other things going on if only they could step out so so uh, you know uh, as you're aware we yeah. have another paper mm-hmm. uh, what happens to the level of domestic or the probability of having uh, you know going through domestic violence yes. for women who are in paid work and those who are not in uh, yes. paid work mm-hmm. right and it is very clear that the paid work uh, does not give you so much autonomy and decision making power that it uh, it can overcome male backlash and female guilt so there is a clear evidence that male backlash increases and there is some evidence for a female guilt that woman herself feels uh, that she is not doing a maybe a proper job as being a you know good wife and a good mother and which she doesn't like so in turn she essentially accepts 
you know higher chances of having domestic violence justifies in some cases yes yeah, so in so, north and north and in north india but not south india you find this especially that yeah, women in turn and i think this is a concept and it's partly a consequence of jobless growth that as long as female labor force participation remains low ideologies of a good mother staying at home persist and so women continue to think by working i'm being a bad mother because that's unusual it's no longer it's still not so accepted and then they internalize that guilt and it, it results in, in male violence yeah okay now let's jump to the urban garment factory so just to recap so these are the very similar women coming from north india similar socialization they happen to end up in a hostel in cities in the city in tamil nadu whereby their entire sunday they can choose what to do maybe they've got to be back by 6 but otherwise they can choose to go to market they can go to parks they can go to whatever tell me about that just a small correction yes, these are cities in karnataka oh uh, i apologize yeah, okay oh anyway uh, these are uh, these observations have were made from uh, factories uh, which ran, uh, which ran in metro uh, metropolitan context mm-hmm. so that means that a metropolitan think of a metro it gives you so much of uh, opportunities to explore now mm-hmm. in this case uh, so since as i as i uh, told you before the factory hostels were not run by the factories so the hostels were run by you know other ngos or other organizations mm-hmm. so you know a woman could choose to be in these hostels have uh, or you know maybe if she she can also choose to be in a room outside just rent a room outside and then with her friends and then work in the hostel uh, work in the factories so there are there was actually no, it was just a accommodation they were renting now you have to cook your food you have to decide how to do, do how to do your day to day chores everything has to be decided by you so here comes a sense of responsibility for your own life right and that sense of responsibility for your own life allows you to start thinking about how you make decisions how you uh, how you plan your day how you plan your month how do you budget for a month how do you budget for rent how do you budget for my groceries how much do i share among my friends how much do i save how much do, how much should be sent home these women most of these women also sent money to home but they had to keep some money for their personal expenses and decide how much they could send to home so you know though there was a pressure for them to you know send back uh, remit money there there was still some part of them that which they could decide for them for instance i'll give you a simple example mm-hmm. i asked these women have you used uh, a phone pay or a gpay which is a very common yeah. mobile app to make payments in uh, in bangalore and everybody uses that in bangalore and it's accepted even for very small payments like even 5 or 10 rupees in bangalore even coconut water you can get yes, it yeah yes yes so they they do they have used those applications which means that they have some uh, exposure to financial uh, autonomy they they do make uh, they do go to the atms and withdraw their money in the uh, in the rural setting case the fa- uh, the factory used to arrange a bus for them to go to the market and withdraw money they go in groups right and they come in groups here the women were this can decide whether to go alone to the market or go alone to the atm or make purchases and so on when we ask whether you have uh, you know made any purchases that uh, that you have not informed home do you always uh, you know ask your home before you make any purchase they said no i for instance i i bought a dress for myself 
they feel very happy about that because that is something they got for themselves mm-hmm. right and then uh, but in the lot, lot of times in the rural rural factory setting case they said that it was the parents my, if i ask my parents they will definitely buy for me why should i buy i anyways my parents will always be there do anything whatever i ask of but here are the women i have i want this so i'm going to buy this for myself even if it's just you know few hundred rupees worth so that there they decide to make choices right about what to spend and what to buy and those things which itself gives you a sense of responsibility for your life and you feel some kind of worth out of it right uh just one uh, uh you know because we are academicians yes. and we should be aware of initial conditions yes uh one thing we do not know at mm. uh, this stage mm. is the their what their parents believe in in these two respective cases yes yes, yes. so it is possible say that parents who are progressive and the where you know the gender norms are little mm. bit relaxed yes. maybe from those sorts of families are these girls coming to urban areas they are allowed to come to urban areas when parents know that they will not be policed uh, that much uh, whereas in a rural case it may be that you know the the families who allow the women to go only to rural areas those girls have been brought up only in the different environment so initially and there could also be an issue of retention so it may be that girls who come to women young women who come to the cities who just can't manage all that independence just go home right yes, that's so true. so there are a number of ways in which the sample could be mediated though i would say and you would know this better than me it may be that the family back home doesn't know that much about the surveillance mechanisms in the two factories no in rural setting they they definitely know oh, really? because the uh, in fact employer says that on the insistence of parents is are that is the reason why we do uh, you know so much policing in fact the if we go by the words of uh, you know the employer yes. they, they would be happy to give much more freedom to the girls oh interesting uh, but they have mentioned us to on more than one occasion that it is the parents request that if we are going to send our uh, daughters there Uh, that you you are responsible for their uh, safety and i think we see parallels also with college curfews in india yeah. that parents want there to be a 6 pm curfew because they'll allow their daughters to go off and get educated if they know that they're they're going to be safe so partly that's a loving concern but also it's about honor they don't want the girls to be up to no good and yeah. this is what i talk about as the honor income trade off in that families may be happy to exploit women's earning potential as long as earning uh, as long as honor can be made maintained and that is maintained through these surveillance mechanisms which was also the case in East Asia so there are these strong parallels yes the only thing i would say which mm. is very common is mm. that in the rural factories and the urban factories these girls are all similarly educated mm. there's no I difference really... there's the almost everybody is like 10th and 12th grade mm. in fact in the urban factories i found the uh, uh, i found the education levels to be a little lower also i don't uh, i do not why but they are similar so it's not the education that is driving these differences or something yes, another uh, angle i would add to is that the the policing is to that extent there is a difference the first thing that struck me was mm. the clothes they wore in the rural garment uh, in the rural garment mm. factory settings i saw them full, 
fully covered dress in proper uh, you know traditional indian mm. dresses and whereas in the urban garment factories almost everybody was wearing uh, shorts or s- skirts and t-shirts i mean that's the first thing that i observed when i entered the hostels and that's likely going to be picking up norms from urban areas right exactly and however you know when when uh, when if you ask me if they are going if they can you know change their dresses even when they go back to villages i do not think or i do not even uh, know if they tell their parents that they wear sh- shorts mm. or skirts uh, maybe some of them tell but in they say that back in villages they do not wear these Absolutely. Uh, let me give two two examples. So I did this rural urban comparative study in Zambia, and so these rural migrants they came to town. And for example, this one man, through talking to other men in town, he came to think that wife beating was wrong. He came to think that it was unacceptable, not appropriate, and he himself would not beat his wife. Or so he told me. But then I said, okay, so what happens back in the village? would you intervene and he said no 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 because the social environment everyone would see is that's their family that's their home and it's not appropriate for me to intervene so even if you yourself want to do something differently even if you yourself pick up these urban norms when you go back to the environment you comply with what others are doing or what you think they might be doing so there's this other example this woman who I interviewed Mavis she sold that in town women controlled their own money so she was someone who sold dried fish in town she said she thought that was great she thought that was fantastic but what happened with her own money when she goes back to the village she hands it over to her husband and she really didn't think that she could change that so she could not use her bargaining power so yeah it's absolutely consistent with what i found Yes, sorry, Vidya. So, yeah, so just to add to what mm. Soumya said, uh, one more thing happens mm. in uh, urban areas when women migrate, and this is not specific to the uh, this textile factory per se, but I'll just give you an example. Uh, you know, I recently had a haircut, and in uh, so 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 the lady who cut my hair is from Assam, so that's a northeastern state yes. in India, and in this particular industry, a lot of young women from that part of India come to different metros and work. Uh, these women many times stay back forever you know they they get married to so this particular lady has got married to a man from kerala which is a southern state in india different languages different culture uh, but assam is of course uh, you know gender norms are a little bit uh, uh, relaxed there compared to up and something but there is a possibility that you can stay back and get married uh, locally and then they bring their uh, friends and then they bring their sisters and so on and almost entire family eventually uh, migrates to urban setting so uh, which is in the rural setting it is uh, absolutely uh, not feasible do many of the women that you talk to want to stay in the urban areas yeah um i do not uh, know if they want to stay in the urban areas but women talked about you know opportunities to come back after marriage here because they they for instance they could be a babysitter they could uh, do some household help work they could uh, there were a lot of these kind of opportunities for these women even if they were not going to work in the factories there were other uh, jobs that were not considered uh, you know menial or that were not considered bad in the rural settings they would be it would be there would be a social prestige tag added to it but in the urban area since you see a lot of other women doing this work it there would not be as much of stigma attached to it so they if they could for instance marry another uh, migrant worker from the same state who would uh, who would work in the metropolitan cities then it is a win win situation for instance i mar- i interviewed the uh, woman uh, from bihar uh, who had married a, a, a person who was working as a delivery partner in uh, zomato and swiggy delivery companies 
So she said that she earned uh, around 10,000 in the factory and then her husband earns around 15,000 in the factory. They spend uh, uh, they spend one person's salary and then they save the rest of it. And they say that they think that this is a big mobility because in the in a, just in a few months time, they could, uh, you know, really uh, save a lot. Another important thing is that, see, once you go back and get married, uh, most women do not come back, even if they want to come back to work, they do not come back till after they have had their children. This is a very important thing. It's so it's a quite a big break that you take from your from the uh, labor market mm-hmm. due to marriage. Yes. So it's like you have either at least one or two children before you actually come back to work. And and when we ask them why did why don't you immediately uh, start working after marriage, they say that no. But you know uh, we we may not be allowed to work after marriage. It's like. But uh, we had uh, after we had two children, we realized that one person's income is not enough. Our family has gone bigger. That is why I decided to come to work. So, but there is something more there, right? Why are they taking breaks for marriage? It's not that they are stopping after uh, they they stop work after childbirth. It's actually they are stopping mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. right before marriage. Few months before marriage, they stop working. This is what. Is and what's the reason? Is. What's the explanation? So they say that, oh, I don't get, because I'm, I I have to move to the place where my husband is. I do not stay here. So I just can't continue to work here. I have to see wh- what kind of opportunities are available in my husband's uh, place and so on. So the, that is the kind of reasons they come up with. But I think there are more, there's more to this than, you know, just taking, uh, why would, uh, like, you can always negotiate in to whom you marry to where you migrate to but that was again so what do you think is the underlying reason no but in another mm-hmm. of our study also yeah. we yeah. Uh, find this in metro cities where the there is another uh, gender norm in india whereby in most of the cases when you get married the woman moves into a husband's pre-existing family if you're a both of them are highly educated nowadays they are taking independent decision of where the couple wants to live but at a relatively lower level of income Essentially, wife moves into wherever husband is yes. living. And then if it is too far off to and all, she essentially has to drop off and look for work, you know, nearby. So that does happen. We find that in another study, much more proportion of women say uh, they are in living in that area post uh, marriage compared to the men saying they are living here since birth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yesterday you hinted at another explanation, which I thought was interesting, that they wanted to have the child first before returning to work because i i do think that there would be questions about you know the uh, you know fidelity and so on the paternity so, who's far, so if she went to work yeah. there would be questions about whose child was it why is there why is that uh, right after childbirth they are okay free and a few years after the childbirth they say that okay mm. now you you're free to go to work what changed mm. does it really that the family got bigger uh, and that is why they are just that is definitely one of the reasons but i do not think that is the only reason yes that absolutely keeps absolutely. them why should they drop out at the time of marriage what constrains them from not working at the time yes, of marriage yes or they can always find out where their husband is going to be and then they can find out some opportunities for work there while they while they decide to get married right but that's that's never a question that 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 kind of a thing never comes into picture why i also had to ask a question so we sometimes think that you know women make new friends and will support each other 
But listening to you before, you were talking about social policing from other women. And other women can be very conservative, chastising or condemning women up to no good. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So, uh, for instance, uh, we, uh, we were talking about, you know, how, uh, you know, work, work. So since uh, women find it hard to migrate and settle down into a new city mm. because they have never been without family mm-hmm. before and so on. Um, so, you know, it is it, it would be great if women uh, who are already living in the hostels and have an experience of say, living in the cities, they know how to guide, uh, you know, these new workers where to buy uh, where to buy from how to go mm. to an ATM, mm. how mm. to make purchases, how do you go to the market and so on. You can guide them and on a lot of things because you have gone through the same situation so you can help your co-workers which is very useful and this kind of relationship building will help but the the problem is that if the women themselves are very if this let's say if the senior women themselves are very conservative mm-hmm. then they could also do the kind of moral policing you know which their parents uh, which the, the junior women are subject to from their parents so the the senior women take on that role of you know being the motherly or the sisterly person for the uh, for the junior and then say for instance we, uh, i had interviewed few cases where they said that you know they advised the uh, uh, their young their juniors not to you know have relationships not to have relationship with uh, uh, you know people working in the factory or outside uh, out, or outside because it it brings dishonor to the families back home so there were for instance cases where you know the uh, some of the co-work or co-workers or you know your colleagues would tell upon you would complain about you to the warden or somebody else because you had a boyfriend you have a boyfriend or something so that means that you know the even i think women fa- think that it's not only uh, upon them to carry on this cultural values but it is also upon them to make sure that other women also carry on this cultural values because that's what you know when you sometimes hear sometimes when i hear tell uh, tell my mother about mm. you know going out alone for these conferences she would say you know she would try to hint at me why don't you you know take your husband also along like something like that because she understand because i think she feels the pressure that others would question her why uh, you know is it good for a woman to go out all alone on these things and so on right so i think it's it's upon the, the women also have this ingrained uh, you know feeling that they should be some kind do some kind of a moral policing for the betterment of the society yeah absolutely yeah, but yeah, sorry thin uh, line between whether in this particular case is moral policing or i think in your mom's case it is simply that she's uh, concerned seriously concerned whether you will be uh, you know from simply from the safety uh, i'm not sure but, but it can be I both right yeah, the, the moral policing can be both your internalized idea of what you think is good what you think is acceptable yeah. and also a paternalistic concern yeah, maybe yes. underestimating More. your capacity yeah. so it can be a bundle of cultural both. things yeah. part loving part i ideological but I think regardless of which specific mental model or ideology it is I think it's 
fascinating the general point that paid work doesn't necessarily transform people's minds they have their same ideas about risk their same ideas about women's capacity to navigate those risks and their same ideas about what's morally right or wrong and so it's that culture that can persist and i think that's the really important insight yeah. sorry video you were saying yeah no uh, just to you know if we believe for something like you know television uh, dramas or yes. television series yes serials are reflection of what happens in the society then uh, because recently a couple of months back i visited my mother and she watches the regional which is in marathi language the number of television serials in every of those serials there will be a, a younger woman who's trying to break out and trying to study or she's trying to become an ips officer which is indian police service uh, or she's uh, for into higher education and there will be an elderly lady most of the time mother in law sort of a character uh who will either question what she is wearing do you really need to study now after that you have got married and do you really need to work you know so that tells us because somewhere the television dramas do reflect what happens in you know it's not like thin air they yeah, write some sure, stories sure, sure. it comes uh, you know it comes from what these writers observe in the society so you see in fact in almost every uh, serial there will be so it's not that the dramas they are not even trying to show that you know elderly women supporting mm-hmm. younger and cre- showing that as a role model and maybe that will influence uh, it's 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 totally uh, you know opposite what what happens in opposite in the sense the reflection of what happens in reality uh, uh, rather than you know two generations of women uh, supporting each other yes yes uh, so so all that said i would still feel that these women who have gone to the factories and who have seen some life outside uh, outside their homes are still have at least have the experience that what life can be and um, maybe they are on an average they are better off than those than their counterparts in the villages who have never gone and seen a life outside this because you know i've seen some married women who had to come to work that was the first time they came to work they've never worked before in life and they they found it really hard to you know that they had to come to work because either because the husband uh, uh, passed away or because there was some really major some mm-hmm. major uh, illness in the family and so on and said so they were pushed to work actually yes. and they did not by choice come to work so they said that uh they you know when when we interviewed them they said that you know they wish they could have worked before because they said that i was brought up like this queen in my family i didn't have to think about money i didn't have to think about you know working outside at all all i had to think about was taking care of the household taking care of the family and now suddenly i am in this situation and i feel so helpless i feel so broken i do not know how to manage this right so i think this exposure to work that to before marriage really makes a big difference for them i want to pick up on two things yeah it is funny because it was exactly yesterday i was interviewing a shopkeeper and he was saying a woman is the princess of the house exactly what you said and <laughs> exactly. it's and, and, and it yeah. goes back to this idea that this is someone you really love and care for and therefore protect them yeah. and at the other point you made is that because many of these women are coming to these jobs out of distress i think that counters the idea that it's these liberal women pursuing the city lights actually you know from their conception in the villages they're only becoming because of debt distressed and they they think that's you know it's like they they have to do it for bare bones survival but then 
iteratively, there's this cumulative process of shifting their ideologies. And just to summarize the discussion so far, it's one, a mechanism of weaker surveillance me mechanisms, which enables them to go out into the parks and see other women wearing shorts. So if you see lots of women wearing shorts, then you realize that's okay and you take it up. You also see the multiple job-creating opportunities, and that raises your aspirations that, hey, I could stay here if I wanted to. So I think this is, this is an example of how cities, combined with weaker surveillance mechanisms, can really transform gender ideologies and practices in some way. So it's not just about work, it's about the iterative experience. And let me ask one more question. How did it differ for men? So just jumping back to the rural garment factories, were men under what were the men? What did the men do with their money? Were, were there any constraints on their time? I would say we interviewed very few more women because mm -hmm. garment factories are themselves, uh, you know, majority uh, women uh, are driven. So um, these men, for instance, uh, especially the, uh, uh, the local men, said that you know they could give they kept some money for themselves. Uh, for instance, I interviewed this uh, um, young man who said that uh, he bought a bike for himself. Uh, he got a loan, he got a bike, and then now he could freely uh, roam around with his friends during his leisure time. But And there were this migrant uh, men from North India who said that, you know, they were trying to save this money. Of course, they ha they helped their families to pay off their debts, but they also said that they had uh, tried to save them some money, like say accumulate 50,000 or 60,000, and then go back home and start their own business. So, you know, for men, it is more going back to invest in again and more in labor market uh, labor market opportunities but for women it was like most of them ended up saying that okay uh, either my parents save for my marriage or i save for my dowry so you know then the where you end is so different for men and women yes. right for men it's a continuity okay i'm in this opportunity next where is the next opportunity labor market opportunity because also because there is a pressure on them to be the breadwinners yes it's the the pressure is equally on them as well. But that's fascinating. It's that they can be earning similar incomes, but what happens to them after they've had those three years as a garment worker can be totally different. So the yeah. men can use that capital to invest in another business opportunity, etc. Whereas women might not have the, that landed opportunity. Yeah, let's say that uh, women get use these incomes to carry more dowry to their uh, uh, to the groom side. So therefore, they also might get married to a better of uh, sure. uh, family, which gives them more income, uh, economic security than uh, than they had in their parents' home. But still, would that would they be you know then financially independent? Mm. Would they be having equal decision making authority, equally having in autonomy, and those things are still questionable. Honestly, I think this is super fascinating. So I want to thank you both for your time, your intellect, your knowledge, your research, because I just think this is a great example of how paid work can be transformative relative to people's past. No, even if their socialization is relative to patriarchal, is that iterative, iterative experience of cultivating these capacities to navigate the world independently, the exposure to multiple women doing things a little bit differently, and then having the economic opportunities to then pursue that. So I think this is a really fascinating example of cultural change. And I thank you very much. Thank you very much, Alice, for giving us this opportunity. And you've summarized the, uh, uh, you know, the discussion very nicely. <laughs> I'm happy you're happy. All right, thank you both. Thank you.